the worst thing I ever saw was, um, and this is a testament to don't try and do things quickly. Mm, okay. Uh, guy on a 30 foot ladder, he decides to run back up it without the, without a stabilizer. And, uh... Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deficit Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Aubrey, and our mission today, as always, is to sustain and stimulate your own attention deficit with stimulating conversations, with everything from good chats to life hacks, everything in between. I'm joined today by a friend of mine, Mr. Graham Howe of Howe Sound Music Company and Music Projects. Uh, I met him a few years back in the film industry, and uh, I was... Not very surprised, judging by the hat, to learn that he is a talented musician, trumpet player, and just all-around audio alchemist. Graham? Thanks a lot for having me on, Adam. This is great. It's really great to reconnect with you and everything after. Yeah, you uh, too, man. Yeah, it's great. Super. So uh, why don't we start with um, the beginning? Where where did you find your uh, love for music? Well, I mean, just growing up in a uh, musical family that that had a, a big... Uh, appreciation for music. Um, uh, you know, my dad had a large record collection, a uh, very diverse record collection, um, you know, jazz, uh, even pop music of the 80s and all that kind of stuff. So uh, really exposed to a lot. Um, and through that, you know, my, my older brother was was starting to play trombone. And, and when I was, you know, I was like, I was probably seven years old. Um, my uncles had some trumpets in their in their closets, so they lent it to me, and I started playing cool. a little bit at home with my brother, and that led to you know getting into you know band you know in 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 high school and stuff like that, and private lessons. That's kind of where it started, though. But yeah, certainly uh, uh, being growing up in a family that would take us out to symphony concerts yeah, and, yeah. and uh, theater concerts and things like that. Um, why don't we touch on that a little yeah. bit? Uh, so, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, so the first instrument you played was a trumpet, then, mm-hmm. and you just stuck mm-hmm. with it. That's that explains a lot. Uh, and who else in your family played those like brass instruments? Uh, my it? older brother Kevin. He cool. he plays trombone. Yeah, so he oh, started okay. he started playing trombone a little bit before me. Okay, and then that you know we were both really super into music, so I I, I wanted to play something too. So it was awesome. kind of like that brotherly you know competition thing going on. You know, Wicked. but but uh, but no, we've. Uh, both of us have played in, in multiple different bands as a horn section. So like in funk bands and R and B bands and jazz combos and things like that. Which um, one of those is your favorite to play like live? Well, I mean, there's nothing quite like playing in an eight or nine piece band, um, with the amount of energy that, that, uh, you know, especially with, with everyone being a really tight drummer and all that kind of stuff, horn section, you know, keyboard, you know, that, that's a lot of fun. Um, the thing is, is that normally you're you're not playing your original music. You're playing covers and things like that. Now you may be able to sneak in some of your originals in on that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, that's there's there's a lot. It's a lot of fun when you're with a big big powerful band on stage and and uh, you know you got all these great musicians working together to make it to make it cool. So uh, yeah, that that's a lot of fun. Although I mean, certainly on the other end of that, um, I find. Now that I'm performing my own music, my original music, uh, it's it's much more gratifying because you you 
feeling like you're getting some traction. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're picking up some new fans or some new people that, that are really interested. And uh, uh, it feels like there's, you know, you're, you're getting somewhere further. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of it just, you know, the same old cover band every weekend sure. kind of vibe, right? Which is, you know, yeah. understandable. But uh, so, yeah, that's that's been a lot of fun doing some solo gigs lately. Um, Wicked. Also, uh, you know, having a, a couple of gigs, you know, as you you and Ryan have seen uh, with the drummer. Yeah, and, that, uh, was, that was and, a... And Shivani on vocals. That was a wild, uh, wild Which gig, was man. great. That yeah. was the first time we had done that four-piece thing, and it, it went really well. So certainly want to find more opportunities to have a budget that will allow uh, the four piece to go out more often. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, which is required, you know, really, yeah. but, but yeah, for, for, uh, you know, I, I'm sniffing around for some, some solo gigs, uh, coming up in, in, you know, toward the end of January and in February cool. at some local little places, little cafes, little bars, that stuff like that. Um, just to keep that going too. Yeah, and yeah. then, uh, yeah, hopefully when, uh, some of my other performers got back from where they are, uh, you know, all over the world, they usually come back in kind of springtime, so we try to book some more shows for the four piece uh, for the bigger group Very cool, uh, when man. that's happening. So, yeah, it's just a it's a matter of process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, but I I get what you mean when you're talking with the the nine piece band. Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. Whenever I've been to a show and they have like uh, a, a even if it's just like two or three brass, mm-hmm. it just fills the room so much more there's like there's so much more meat on the bones with absolutely kind of it absolutely yeah. and it just there's all these different uh tones and timbres you know yeah, uh, yeah. blending and and really making a wall of sound basically yeah yeah, that, yeah I, it's awesome yeah i think that's kind of why i enjoyed ska as much as i did because like I, I was a big punk fan growing up and then when i found like streetlight manifesto and like real big fish and stuff like that yeah just like you're telling me it's punk music, but there's also horns playing. And I saw them live at the Warp Tour, the last Warp Tour that yeah. happened. And holy shit, man. So cool. So wild. And like just yeah. the the vibe that it puts off. Having like a big Barry sax, a trumpet, Honk and a trumpet. away. Go, yeah, absolutely. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. And then combine that with heavy guitar and, yeah, a, and yeah. a great drummer and like a high motivated, yeah. uh, fast, you know. And a pace yeah. that's just like Totally. But then going. punchy horns and everything. Yeah, that's just, yeah. it's. It's a great combination, yeah. And I love, I love ska too. I mean, I, I've 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 dabbled in a few ska bands as well. That's wicked. Um, which is a lot of fun. They're high energy. You really wear your chops out quick, though. Yeah, I, I you're bet. You're playing as loud as you can, and you try to keep up with all the guitar stacks and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I remember <laughs> seeing this uh, a video of like uh, I think it was a trombone player, but he started like when he was uh, playing his instrument. Every time he'd like blow into the the instrument. His neck would like inflate. Have you? Do you get that at all? Is that no, a, no? Because I heard that it's a thing <clears throat> that like happens with brass players. It can, often. it can, yeah. Uh, you know, well, famous one being Dizzy Gillespie, uh, the the jazz trumpet player, who um, his cheeks would puff right out, like he'd have these. But that's Enormous. that's that's not uh, when you're learning trumpet. That's a big no no. Really? Because what's happening is you're redirecting the air. You want the air to go straight through and into mm-hmm. the instrument instead of it being. But but I mean it worked for him. I mean it didn't it didn't stop him from uh, from hitting those super high notes and 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 playing like that. But yeah, there's some. I mean I've even seen some other instrument instrumentalists that that will. Yeah, it's wild. The, 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 it looks the, like a frog or something. It's yeah the same. because they build up so much back pressure, uh, which is kind of required. Yeah, it just starts has to go somewhere. So yeah, I, luckily I don't 
inflate like that. When I get really tired, <laughs> yeah. then my cheeks start to give away. Oh, and yeah. then the air just starts going out the side of my mouth. <laughs> just, I can't get it down the yeah. uh, down the instrument. Starts going out but, the blow off valve. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that my all my all my private teachers would say, No, you can't do don't do that. Mm-hmm. No, it's bad. You'll you'll regret it if you if you get used to that. Yeah. You brass know? has always been really interesting to me. Like um do, do you practice that um i hear that you do like a cyclical breathing with it how how it's 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 harder than i i've tried it um it i can't do it really because it it's it's where you try to capture enough breath in your mouth to keep the note even while you're breathing in through your nose so you're basically squeezing the air from your mouth and breathing in at the same time but it's really hard to keep the pitch like yeah. even, yeah. I, I know I've seen uh, trumpet players and other wind instrument players that that are that can just keep keep the pitch even all the way through, even when they're transferring, you know, and and uh, that's really tough. I, I mean, I, 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 I when I was getting better at it, I would always, yeah. I, I I would be dipping, like yeah. the, the pitch would like fall off because I wasn't able to keep the same air pressure. That's one thing. But yeah, it's yeah. That's one thing I really appreciate about like um when musicians get into a certain level of like technical advancement, there's these things that they can do that almost seem like inhuman, you know, like you look at like death metal singers and stuff like that. They use like three different parts of their vocal cords to create like animal sounds, sometimes like pig squeals or like without hurting themselves. Right. You know, without damaging. uh, Yeah. Cause like, um, cause it's, was it Steve Tyler? Was it, he's had like two different surgeries on his vocal cords Mm -hmm. from like blowing them out from screaming. And like, they've somehow managed to find a way to do it where it doesn't, hurt them which is insane absolutely and i think it really comes down to modern vocal coaches that know what they're doing and, yeah and know what what will damage uh or what what activities will will uh, cause cause harm mm-hmm. uh that that and i think you know i mean obviously these older bands like aerosmith and stuff i mean they super loud band like yeah. like imagine yeah. trying to keep up with that and yeah. then especially with poor monitoring on stage and Oh, yeah. You know, everything else, like, you know, you're basically, yeah. So, I mean, you understand why these guys had to just, you know. Belt you know, it, yeah. Belt it. And then possibly not even having, uh, you know, a consistent uh, vocal coach or things like that, that that really come into play. Well, yeah, I guess that was kind of like the rock and roll thing, right? Don't they have a saying in jazz school, like, uh, do your homework or else you might become a rock musician? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Oh, man. Uh, so, which... um. Which artist did you see at first or hear at first when you were like, um, I want to play that kind of music? What was the first one that you can remember going way back? Oh, gosh. Um, my my uh, love of music is is really multiple genres. Like, yeah. Like almost every genre, there's something that I like. Um, but early on, uh, I was fascinated, obviously, being a trumpet player, I was fascinated with other trumpet players. So I was listening to Maynard Ferguson, um, who is one of those guys that can hit the super mega high notes uh, easily. He's from Toronto, a Canadian, uh, Canadian guy. So is it is it <clears throat> difficult to hit higher notes it's, with brass instruments? Is it, that it, it's that's yeah it is really? yeah yeah you really have to have uh, sometimes even a special trumpet that has a smaller a smaller diameter uh, lead pipe and special mouthpieces that have that force the air quicker through the instrument and is that more exclusively to things like trumpets and like um 
uh, trombones. Even trombones, uh, more of the mouthpiece instruments. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but yeah. saxophones? Because Saxoph- saxophones have a reed, right? Saxophones yeah. have a reed, and then yeah. also saxophones can go up and down the octave just by hitting keys. Yeah. So or, and, and so everything is right under the keys. You have to yeah. know what they do. But with with trumpet and trombone, you have to use air pressure to get to different registers. Oh, so you really got so to really hit that to, to hit that high. high note. You got to brick and wow. give her. You got to give her on the on the air. You know, you I, gotta, I didn't you gotta, know that. I've been around a lot of brass players before, and I've I've never knew that about. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. It's ba- that basically how it breaks down, and and it and I've never been that guy. I mean, I can get, I can get a good height. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, you know, a high C or maybe a high D, but. But some of these guys are going triple C's, uh, triple D's, like like up an octave beyond what I can do, Holy and shit. stuff like that. And I just never been able to do that. Um, I also prefer uh, <clears throat> a warmer sounding instrument, um, yeah. which which in a lot of those, a lot of the 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 what we would call a lead trumpet, uh, like in a big band, he's the guy that's all high notes. So he would have an instrument that has a smaller bore pipe and the specialized mouthpiece, mm-hmm. but that makes the instrument sound thinner. So when you're playing in the lower range, it's very thin. I mean, I, you can get the high notes really great. Mm-hmm. But because I was doing a lot of solo stuff, so I was a second chair a lot of times, the second chair in a big band is always your solo chair. I would be doing the solos and the flugelhorn solos and stuff like that. So I wanted to have more warmth and, and dexterity down lower and and leave all the high stuff to uh, to to the lead guy. You know? Flugelhorn. Yeah, flugelhorn is like a larger trumpet. It's like yeah. an inflated trumpet. Sounds kind of like a French horn in yeah. a way. Um, and it's, it's really smooth. Like it's not edgy. Uh, trumpets can be edgy sometimes. Mm. Like if someone's sitting in the front row and you've got a trumpet there and you kind of sharp, you hit some notes yeah. people are going to be like, they're going to be jumping a bit, <laughs> but the flugelhorn you can dig in and it's, it's always really smooth. So I use that a lot for smaller jazz, jazz gigs where there may be the people are sitting closer, things like that. Um, it's almost my favorite instrument to play. I love it. It's like, it's super smooth. Um, Would it be fair to compare that, the trumpet to flugelhorn as like, um, a violin to a cello almost? Quite similar. Working yeah. kind of within the same registers, but um, but tonally uh, yeah. quite a bit different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So that's actually a very good uh, analogy of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I noticed um, with um, my, my younger brother, is a, he's a, an accomplished concert violinist. He's, like, really good, and he, he will never play in front of us. It's kind of my fault. I used to... I was the the guitar guy and Benny was the violinist and I'd always like rag on his violin shit. <laughs> That's what brothers are supposed to I, do. I know, I know, but he, he, he hasn't, he, yeah, he, he doesn't pull the thing out very much. But um, I noticed when he was practicing, I guess it's kind of like a guitar and a bass. You, you can really hear when the six string or the violin misses something. There's like a, whether that it be that you're not pulling the bow properly or there's just a misstep. Versus like yeah. something in a lower register, like a cello, or I guess like a flugelhorn. Yep. Where it's, it's almost like, not as noticeable. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot more yep. precision that needs to be taken when it comes to those higher note instruments. Absolutely, right? uh, because you know why? Because they live; those notes live closer together on the fretboard. Yeah. So you can move just a tiny bit, and it changes. Whereas a cello, you've got a bit of room to. Oh, I'm a bit flat, a bit sharp. I mean, I don't. I'm not a cello player or a violinist. I just. Yeah. I. I You've been around them. I've been enough, around them yeah. a lot and really love those instruments. Um, but yeah, uh, violin is, is staggeringly hard to get because there's no frets. Yeah. You're using your ear. You're using like muscle memory. Incredibly and the difficult. notes are living so close together. Yeah. And so you're not you're, picking, you're raking a bow. And that's the other, uh, the <laughs> other mechanical. The yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like, and that's why it takes so long for, for uh, virtuosos to kind of, you know, rise up because 
they, they need constant tutelage and everything to kind of keep it together, you know? Uh, it's, yeah. But I think as of with any instrument, I mean, if you would, can at least hammer out a few, uh, a few days a week, a uh, half hour of chords and stuff, you know, it's going to yeah. keep your chops good. Oh, like yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep them better. And that's why even now, if I'm not performing, I, I just try to do 20 minutes a day at least. I know that that's not enough, but it's better than nothing. It's more than me, man. And, I... and just try to keep those chops going and so that you're ready for, you know, things that come up, you know. Yeah. yeah absolutely. you get a sudden call. We need a, we need a player tonight. Need yeah. Player well, I just recently got a call. There's a, a jam happening on, on Saturday that, uh, that, uh, a photographer friend of mine is putting together and he, uh, asked me to just bring my horn down and there's going to be some, uh, audience interaction. Like you know, he wants the band, there's going to be a, four or five other players on, and we don't know each other. It's kind of like an improv jam thing. Oh yeah. And, uh. And then there's going to be audience participation and he's going to be, I don't know. I, I just said, Hey, I'll do it. Cool. <laughs> I'll, like it. I'll let you know what happens, but it's, it's one of those things. So, I mean, if I hadn't practiced this week, I'd be like, Oh crap, I'm going to screw up or I'm not going to have my chops together for the show or whatever. But, um, so yeah, that's part of the reason. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. Those spontaneous like, events. Yeah. yeah. So going back to like the artist that like got you into it, like I, I, I am, probably criminally undereducated in the world of jazz. I like, at least for trumpet players, I knew that, you know, Louis Armstrong. Obviously. Well, yeah, there, yeah like, he was one of my idols. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah that's my grand- Totally. We played, um, Wonderful World was, uh, my grandfather's funeral song. And like, it's been a song that has like, really had a lot of meaning to me over like most of my life. Well, all my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, it's um, so poignant. Yeah. Coltrane. And like, honestly, after that, I kind of, just goes blank for me. Like, oh, do you have yeah. any recommendations? Well, I mean, obviously Miles Davis. I mean, that, okay, the, yeah, yeah, Miles yeah. Davis. I mean, there, he's yeah. kind of the the trumpet god, and he also lives more in the range that I play in. Like, he's okay. he he can hit high notes, but he's not living in the high range all the time like some some trumpet players that I that I followed. Um, so I guess, is it? but yeah, it's I mean, there's so many. I mean, I. I mean, as far as trumpet players go, I mean, Freddie Hubbard's another one for me. He's just an amazing tr- trumpet player. Um, uh, you know, obviously Maynard Ferguson. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I admire so many other uh, musicians. jazz musicians that aren't trumpet players. So I mean, okay. there's, there's you, you take, I mean, and it, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to dive into it. Like there's certain genres you have to kind of dive into it to really understand yeah, was, who's a part of it, who's, who did this and who did that. And, you know, I mean, any genre, you know, yeah. even, you know, was, some of the new, the new metal stuff and that all was, that kind of stuff. There's so my, many. That, that's where I took my deep dive. Was and in, some like, of them the are sub genres yeah. and some of them are, you know. Oh dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like you look at there's a. Sludge, whatever. What is it? There's a documentary called Global Metal, I think. Yeah. And it's all about like the fucking some odd hundreds of subgenres of metal that have come totally. from around the world. Is it, yeah. So I, I'd assume that's probably yeah. the same with jazz then, eh? There's like a huge... Absolute. There's a yeah. huge, like, this one's a bit more traditional, this one's a bit more fusion-y, this one's a bit, you know, like, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Like, everyone's got their own take on it. But that's that's part of the refreshing part of it because it's kind of like leaving that open for the musicians to decide what they yeah. want to put in there instead of it being a fixed thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, What's like, your take on fusion jazz, by the way? Because I, I hear it and, like, some of it... Uh, I I can I can listen and, and appreciate it, but other times it, it really does sound like they're all just playing their own thing. And it's I know that at some point they do all kind of come back into it and like mm-hmm. to to complete mm-hmm. the structure, right? But yeah, it's 
just it's pretty cerebral yeah uh, it, it, it's hard for a lot of people to kind of grasp because it's not it's not constructed like a normal song would be a verse chorus you know bridge, yeah. whatever um but i admire it because of just the the uh expertise uh, of these oh yeah uh, they're masters not these, only of the instruments but of the yeah, theory too right like, like they're so they're so good that they're over even my head sometimes as far as what what's going on now you can as you just said you they do go away and then come back. Yeah. But in order to do that, you got to know a lot. Yeah. Like you, you, you won't even know when or how to come back if you haven't done all the work to, to you know. So it's one of those things where uh, you you can kind of pick up on, these guys have been playing together a long time. Or or they're all just real monsters mm-hmm. and, and they're really good at what they do. Um, and they're able to listen and, you know, a lot of it is just listening really well to each other, you know, and, and not stepping on each other, picking up, on yeah, the finding out where there. to pick it, you know, dynamics, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, there's obviously not a huge market for jazz fusion or, or rock, rock jazz fusion. Um, I love it still. I've got a huge part of my record collection is, is all is, is, you know, mostly older jazz fusion, like seventies, eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing stuff but it's not commercial you know like yeah it's, it's well it seems you know. to be like the more in-depth the knowledge needs to be of like almost any art form really when i think about it um the less marketable it is to people who don't understand it you know mm-hmm. like like fusion mm-hmm. jazz you i mean like correct me if i'm wrong but when i listen to fusion jazz and like i, I look at the kind of people who play that genre as like a full-time thing even they're absolute masters of the craft they understand music theory as if they've been breathing it Mm -hmm. since they were born Mm -hmm. they could read chords and just you know charts and they like they just have like almost like a sixth sense for it Mm -hmm. um but if you're not educated in the world of music theory and and i guess jazz too it would be it sounds like craziness. I guess it's kind of like, well, like it does. black metal. It sounds or like right? it sounds like, like uh, cacophony, or like where are they going now? Like, yeah. there's no context of of where things should go. You yeah. Know? But but that for a musician that's used to playing stuff that's always scripted yeah. and laid out that way is very refreshing. So yeah. And that's why I love. I mean, one of my favorite things is to get a nice little four piece jazz combo together and 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 perform. But you'll never get paid, or you'll hardly ever get any money, and. And most people aren't going to really, unless they know jazz, they're not really going to understand what the hell's going on. Yeah. It's kinda, so it's kind of like just, it ends up being background music. Now, it's very, very rewarding to the people that are playing, but it's so uncommercial that it's one of those things where you try, I mean, right now I'm trying to find a nice, happy balance between like commercial yeah. and really fresh and inspiring. Well, you're uh, pretty close to it. Sometimes the last commercial gig. can be just like the same old thing. Every, you know. Well, yeah, four right? chords, right? It's a yeah. the four chord. Like exactly. It's, it's the, you know, the, and the, you're kind of like, yeah. oh, this is, you're not excited about going to do the gig. Yeah. You know, whereas if you try to keep that that uh, certain elements for different people to latch onto, like mm-hmm. cool beats, yeah. uh, some cool delays and verbs, or, or like maybe a synth bass line or something like that, be oh, that's cool. Oh, neat beat. But they don't know that I'm doing a pentatonic. Uh, run yeah. on my trumpet up through this effects processor bling, you know, they, but maybe some of the other people go, oh, that was a pentatonic scale. Yeah, yeah. there were so you know, many so layers you're to your kind of trying to, that night. Well, was, yeah, you're trying to give uh, everyone a little something yeah. so that it's not like they're just, you know, completely like over their head or, you know, that, because that's not fair. 
Yeah. You're there. You're there performing for people, not for yourself. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like it's a it's a give and take kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you mm-hmm. wouldn't do it entirely if it was just because you want to perform for people, right? It's obvious that like playing the music is rewarding. Yeah. 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 It's you finally it's feel like you're you're all the hundreds of hundreds of hours you spent on the song is you're finally able to perform it. You know. Yeah. Like you mentioned uh, pentatonic there. Uh, obviously, like a it's a mode, like a scale structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in in your world, I I sorry I, I view like like jazz musicians as like this whole other um, like city that I've never visited, like a culture that I'm frankly pretty um, inept, like ineptly educated on. Like I I I know some ins and outs of it, but like I was you know rock and funk and stuff like that. I I think I know more about almost any other genre of music than I do about jazz music. And it's always because it seems so intimidating to me. And like the people who are associating it with it are like real solid musicians. It is. So, it, uh, it is. It's, it's like, it's a uh, very hard to kind of wiggle your way into it unless, and let me, luckily I came through, I, I went to uh, university um, and I played in a lot, like my, I barely made it through high school. I mean, I basically got A pluses in all the music, and that's what got me out. That got me through high school. So, yeah. so I was I was literally living music throughout that whole time, and then uh, went to university for jazz training and, and classical training and stuff like that. So that that really helped me Which to university much to? Uh, Brandon Brandon University in Manitoba, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, they they have they have an amazing music school there. I have um, an auntie who is the professor of music at the University of Saskatchewan. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know that until I was like old enough. She's a very uh, reserved woman, very mm-hmm. quiet, mm-hmm. very kind, but mm-hmm. just like not, doesn't. She's very soft spoken, but she has done like global tours on like playing classical and like. Um, I wonder. I've never asked her about jazz. I know in the she said that in the eighties she had a phase where she was experimenting with like synthesizers and stuff like cool, that, cool. and like the original days of synthesizers. And Absolutely. Stuff. Um, but I, that, that's kind of that's kind of you know in Canada that's close Manitoba. It's Canada. very close, yeah. And yeah. we we played a number of uh, concerts. We even played the uh, the uh, jazz festival there in in Saskatoon. Uh, cool. I'm I don't want to say what year, <laughs> quite a while ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was when I was touring with a band called Global Village, and we were we were touring around Canada. Uh, and that was a, a, a nine piece um, uh, kind of. South African jive, Afro-Latin, some reggae. But wow. but we, we played Winnipeg Folk Fest and a whole bunch of, like, back then uh, tours were really, like, doing college and university tours were popular. So you would go to, uh, you know, the University of Saskatchewan in Regina, and then you'd play their their pub or their, their you know, and all the students would come. And then you'd go to, the, you know, Calgary and you'd go to Edmonton and you'd go to, you know, and play all the universities and do yeah. a little, like, a college or university tour. Um, and then you'd also do, like, when, and then in the summer you'd do the uh, festivals. So, like, you'd, the, the colleges and universities would be kind of like uh, after Christmas, like, uh, end of January up through spring, and then by the time that was happening, we were already applying for all the other festivals, and and then and then we would jump out again and do do another like you know fifteen date kind of festival thing. But yeah, you were younger then. We had two freaking panel vans with stinky guys in there, and like one was Fuck full yeah. of gear and one was full of guys, and it's like 
you know, you're just, you're just, ah, you know, you're trying yeah. to sleep and this, you know, like just, oh. Well, it goes to show it doesn't matter what genre of music you're playing, rock and roll's always somewhere, right? Absolutely. Like a bunch absolutely. of smelly guys in a panel van ripping Yeah, that's, that's. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, that awesome. sums it up. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, so you've been playing your entire life and like professionally then. Have there been any like careers that you've gone into aside for like, I know you work in film a little bit now. You just got in the Directors Guild. Congratulations. Yep. Welcome. Yeah. Super excited uh-huh. about that. Yeah. Um, um, well, but- when I was obviously, it, we never, we made, we never made a lot of money. We managed to make enough to get through each year, but it was always a catch up game, right? Cause you're always trying to get bigger gigs and, and better paying gigs and larger stages. Um, so yeah, I mean. I was also kind of subbing in, uh, doing, uh, live sound. So do like, like starting to work for some local companies and stuff like that, just mixing, um, you know, hauling the equipment, you know, stuff like that. And also started working once I was back in Vancouver, um, uh, working for Rocky Mountain Sound and another company called Solotech. They're out of, uh, they're out of Montreal and they, they used to do all the Symphony of Fire, um, Oh really? Sound. So we would we would set up the a giant, humongous JBL rig on on English Bay, and then monitor it uh, so for cool. like days and days and days. Yeah. And then we'd rip it all down. But it'd be you know it'd be like an eighty thousand watt system, yeah, right? Like huge. with huge subs and everything. Um, and then also did uh, through that uh, did uh, worked on the road crew for Bon Jovi and also worked on the road crew for uh, Smashing Pumpkins. What? In the nineties, um, uh, and unloading semis and then loading them and go to the next. You were city and, you were a roadie for Bon Jovi though. I was yeah out of out of sixty five others yeah. But, That's so yeah, cool. But but basically a grunt uh, yeah. at that at that time just you know move that sub move you know get those get those monitors on stage, and a bit of ground rigging you know like uh, I I wasn't doing any of the the high rig stuff because I'm not really fond of heights but uh, yeah but I did all you know ground rigging. Um, you know, and obviously running all their giant Soka cables, all these giant power cables yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. for all. Because back then it was all parkans, right? It was all, it was all um, real bulbs, not LEDs. real bulbs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you're, you know, you're running 600 volt uh, power supplies for for your truss. You know, Jesus like, Christ, like man, really, that's terrifying. Really, like, yeah. So you know, other guys would wire those, but we would be pulling all these super mega heavy cables, like probably like cables like, that were like this thick that were all solid core multiplex. Uh, and and they were they like they were so freaking heavy. I bet they were so freaking heavy. I like just... we'd have multiple guys dragging them down the 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 arena floor to get them to, back to front of house and stuff. And we'd oh man, they were so heavy. Insane. You'd be you'd pull your like you pull oh, your shoulders and everything. Yeah, yeah. Never mind having to go to a gym and toss those ropes. Oh or yeah, yeah. No, got the fucking giant cable to probably, pull. Like probably uh, four feet of this cable was like a hundred pounds. Whoa, it had to be. Holy like I had it because sometimes we'd have two or three guys like like ah, like like struggling to pull it. <laughs> did you ever see one but, of them like? Did you ever see one like short or whatever? Like was there oh ever, like, no a no no where... no they were all and and uh, even back then the electrical uh, the electrical guys on those shows would would be like they had those um, uh, infrared pens mm-hmm. and they would be checking all the cables if there's any cracks or anything they would. There'd be an X, and then there would be it would either be uh, repaired or it would be decommissioned. Wow. Um, but but yeah, no, those so th- yeah, there was there was never anything like that. The worst thing I ever saw was, um, and this is a testament to, don't try and do things quickly. Mm, okay. Uh, guy on a thirty foot ladder, 
he decides to run back up it without the without his stabilizer, and because uh, he just sees something he wants to fix, falls. Yeah, off thirty. Broke his feet. bank, broke his back. You know, probably not working in that field anymore. Yeah, um, I wouldn't doubt it. And it was just a big eye opener. Luckily, he had his helmet on and he had it strapped, so it. Luckily, he didn't he didn't concuss himself or yeah. yeah, exactly. But but it was a scary moment. Thirty um, feet. That's 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 a high. lot. That's two stories. Yeah, it's a little bit more than two stories. Yeah, I think. It, I, and it was on the the concrete. Yeah, I on think one story is roughly concrete. ten feet. Give or take, yeah, right? pretty much. So right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, pretty that's much. fucking high on a polished con- like arena floor. Arena right? floor. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Damn, man. So that was just like, you know, like you know, and then huge. You know, obviously there was a a a, a lots of meetings after that yeah. about safety and, and stuff like that. You know. Um, did you ever get a chance to like uh, jam with any of the musicians you toured with? Like, no. like, no, no. It was it's same as film. Yeah, yeah. Same as film. Okay. If they talk to you, then that's Say good. Say hi and stuff. But yeah. you don't don't fanboy over the like that. Like basically, if you do that, you're fired. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's basically, is what it was. Yeah, you're you know? part of the crew. You're not one of the fans. No, yeah. no. And get out of their way. They're yeah. getting ready. They're they're working, and you're working too. So just yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the same as film. Although it's, I find film is a little more leeway as long as the actor or actress talks to you first mm-hmm. uh and and not to go on too long about stuff yeah but um but uh yeah that was i mean i remember i remember um the band bon jovi they 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 went hey guys you guys are doing a great job you know that kind of thing to the crew and then we were like yeah you know kind of vibe that's about it right cool um which is fine you know it's been it's 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 a professional environment and and um as with anything like that um there's really no time. Like yeah. you, like you're just going. Like and and it's like the show must go on. And usually at every setup, there's something that goes wrong. Like the pins are missing from this side of the stage, or the, the tra- or whatever the stairs. You know. Yeah, I probably always something, right? Yeah, I, I probably could never be a roadie. Then I'd be busy. Like I'd see Richie Sambora pass by and be like, "Hey man, can I have a guitar pick?" Like just like instantly, I'd be fangirling over those guys. So oh, like, it like, was tough, and I knew yeah. that it was tough for a lot of them. But but it was well established before the yeah. tour happened that 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 was. It was going to be. Uh, was it a good experience for you? Did you? It was it? good. It yeah. was good. Yeah, I'm glad that I did it when I was a lot younger. Because man, so much gear. Yeah. Which so ones? Much gear. Which uh, between Bon Jovi and Smashing Pumpkins? I, I'm I'm assuming Bon Jovi probably had a much larger setup, but Smashing Pumpkins were pretty. They had. A, huge they both team, had right? pretty big setups. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. This, the biggest one was at BC Place with Smashing Pumpkins, and that was like late '90s. Um. It was. I think it may have been their last show. Wow. Or maybe there's it was their last tour. That's a huge arena, um, and it was it was it was just packed. It was just packed. I can't even remember who opened, <laughs> but no, it was it was killer. And they had yeah, they had a crazy ass rig in there. It was like the uh, the French company VDOSC. The, they had a big giant the 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 company that invented line arrays, basically. Oh, um, what? Yeah, uh, okay. VDOSC. Uh, um, I think it's. L Acoustics? Yeah, yeah, I think it's L Acoustics is the company and then their their the brand was the VDOS system. You mind just giving uh, your mic just a little tip towards you? Oh yeah, right no there. problem. But yeah, anyway, it was it was uh I always I love PA systems. Like I, I have a pretty big one myself. Yeah, uh, I in saw. storage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and, in storage. Maybe yeah, I didn't see it there. That's yeah, the I yeah. But I I, so I've always been a, a fanboy for for hi-fi and for yeah you're an audiophile for sure yeah I, I freak out about that yeah. stuff I mean obviously trying to keep it within you can get way out of 
way out of control yeah. with with with, oh, you know, with should, hi-fi stuff. It I gets way overpriced. I should have bring one of those vintage mics in here just to like oh, show yeah, and tell. Oh, I, I, I should have done that. Those are those are wild. You got some from like what's the oldest one that you have there? Well, there's a there's a RCA. Um, the ribbon's blown in it though. I got to get it replaced. Okay, um, and I'm. But it's probably late fifties, early sixties kind of range. So cool. That's probably the the the, the earliest one. Yeah. yeah. But it is. I'm thinking about just instead of uh, reinstalling the ribbon, just mounting uh, like a little SM58 mm-hmm. uh, or SM57 capsule in there instead. It's just a standard a dynamic uh, capsule, but but uh, it'll just be way, way more reliable, and it'll sound like a 57, which is you know a very common microphone. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And and an easier mod than getting the ribbon. You know, reattaching this ri- you know the delicate ribbon and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like whoa. But I, I I love that kind of stuff. I also I also like just really unique sounding microphones, like microphones that are. Um, I've got this other mic I didn't show you, but it's a uh, it's supposed to be the best harmonica microphone in the world. Harmonica microphone. Yeah. Okay. It's a Shure. Uh, I think it's the five six five. It's all silver. It's got an aluminum body, and it apparently f- for whatever reason the characteristics are like. So many har- like professional harmonica players uh, love these. Really? Like they love them. What? So um, and now it's probably because there's a little bit of a a mid dip in them. Okay. So that they're not so pointy and harsh. Okay. So you can really dig in on the harmonica and not being uh, you know one of those things where it's it, it can be it too up a bit yeah, yeah, yeah kind yeah. of gives a, takes a little bit of the edge off. Not so rakey on the ears. Exactly. Or cool. Yeah. So Very cool. the, but but I don't know. I I've only used it. Uh, uh, a couple of times, not on a harmonica. So, <laughs> but but I love unique sounding stuff. Stuff that 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 um, you can get to know the mic and what characteristics it has, and then pull it out when you're looking for something like that. You, you know? remember the first piece of audio equipment that you got around that really triggered that interest in you? Like, was there a certain like mm. was it a speaker or an amplifier or something or like a microphone that like you were just like, wow, this is fucking cool, and then you just decided to take it apart or something and learn. You know what? The first thing, actually, the first thing that I got was um, a Sony portable DAT machine. So a digital audio tape. So it used tape, but it was a digital, it was a 16-bit digital recorder. um, And you can plug a mic into it. So I was starting to record some of my my jazz combo stuff and everything. So I was more interested in just kind of archiving some of the stuff that I'd done or in that way. So that was the first thing. And luckily that was uh, kind of like a, I begged my parents, it was kind of expensive. And I begged my parents so much that they got grandma and grandpa and grandma and granddad and Kevin. So everyone pitched in to get me this one thing that I, you know, wanted. So So that was like, just like, ah! Yeah, and then I was out there recording everything. You know, at that point, that sounds like an amazing. So I've got a giant tub full of uh, digital audio tapes with me, literally going around Vancouver on my skateboard, recording the, on the bus, like just cool. recording, and then using those in uh, songs and like you know just as weird, you know, city sounds yeah. in the background of a you know tri- trippy track or something like that. You know, that kind of stuff. And, so you're a man who's like just truly yeah. fascinated by the the sense of hearing and sound. And yeah. Sound. yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Where, um, whereabouts did, were you saying that you lived in, have you been in Vancouver this whole, this whole time, like most of your life? Or? I grew up in Maple Ridge. Yeah. Um, and then I lived in Vancouver, uh, through till the end of the nineties. Um, at that time is when I moved up to Kamloops. Right. Um, uh, to, uh, to 
join a restaurant that my brother already had and his business partner wanted out. And so I bought in and it was on uh, Victoria. It was where Cowboy Coffee used to be. What was it called? It was called Elements Cafe. Fuck yeah. And I, we that, had jazz. Yeah, we I had, had coffee in that place. <laughs> we had jazz uh, uh, Fridays and Saturdays. We had music Fridays. We Anyway, we had music Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. Um, we would try to kind of get the jazz groups that were coming through BC because mm-hmm. they would stop here in the, on their way to Vancouver. Cantaloupe is a gas like gig, yeah, right? Yeah, That's, absolutely. So it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Problem was is that back then... There was no Blue Grotto. There was no Art We Are. There was no, like, there was almost nothing down there. So you guys were the space. That was... And trying to get people to get come down at night. Um, well, we'd have a great lunch. We'd have a great breakfast and lunch. And then after 5 p.m., downtown would just die. Like, there would be nobody around. Not much different now either. Well, it's it's at least a little better. There, at least there's yeah. a few clubs. Like, there's the Commodore. There's the, yeah, the Blue get, Grotto. Yeah. There's, but back then, imagine, if you think it's bad now. Yeah. Imagine it back then. Like, we were literally, yeah. I was going up to Aberdeen to flyer, like, stop, like, put up posts. Like, wow. Come on down. There's jet. Like, you know, trying to get friends. Oh, I got to drive all the way from Sahali. It's like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. That's like, so far. Like, you know, when you're from minutes. Vancouver, I used yeah. to drive from Maple Ridge to see a concert in Vancouver. Take oh, yeah. Hour, you know, yeah. So, it, like, I'd be like, what? These people don't like culture? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, anyway, it was it was tough slog, and we managed to stick it out for a couple of years, and 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 uh, I managed to sell it. But uh, that's what got me up to Kamloops. Cool. Um, and then after that went down, I started working for audiovisual companies because I had the experience working for Rocky Mountain Sound and stuff like that, mm-hmm. doing the audio stuff. So um, I wor- started working for SW Audiovisual out of um, Kelowna, and they had a branch in Kamloops. So we were doing all the corporate stuff. So we we're going to you know setting up projectors and whiteboards and stuff like that for corporate meetings and things like that, big and small. Um, and that's, but that is how I made, I was able to, to chase the music thing. Cause Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't just be a a full-time musician and expect to, uh, pay the bills. Yeah. Um, at least 90% I mean, of the time you gotta, that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always, you know, getting jobs that paid good money that, that were hard jobs, but that paid well to, uh, to, you know, keep, keep that music thing yeah. going. Same with the film thing too. I mean, I'm able to work for six months and then, and take have no problem, after. take a couple months off and do some music and recording and blah, blah, blah. And you and don't have to worry about losing the job after. Like, exactly. You exactly. Back and find work. Well, you, you find your teams, right? And yeah. then, and then you just keep calling them up. Hey, what's the next show? You know? Networking um, and is key. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. But, but, uh, obviously still chasing the, 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 I'd love to make a, even just a, decent living at a, as a musician yeah. that would be amazing <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious about that because i i heard that like there was a point i think it was when itunes first came out and stuff and people were still buying music online mm-hmm. that it was possible to be a person who would make like not like millions of dollars as a musician but make like a middle class income yeah and be a working musician selling your music on itunes and stuff yeah like that. Be, at least be able to make four or five grand a month kind of vibe yeah you know ish you know yeah. give or take yeah and like with uh, the whole idea of being able to like um access other musicians and stuff like kind of through the itunes store and things like that um mm-hmm. it was kind of mm-hmm. more possible but now and i guess before that it was harder because you didn't have the internet it wasn't there wasn't a very easy way for you to like get that much exposure on yep. your own right? yeah you and had now, to do uh physical uh yeah. exposure yeah and absolutely. now with the streaming companies just absolutely jacking everyone yeah um, it's kind of gone to the wayside now eh? well i mean it's almost like 
the thing is, is that everybody asks you, what's your Spotify? You know, but it's like, it's literally, you lose money by yeah. putting it on. Yeah. But otherwise people won't hear you. Yeah. So it's kind of a catch 22 in a way, between a rock and a hard place. Um, so you kind of have to. I mean, I I did. It's, I'm on all those. Oh yeah, yeah. You I mean, get exposure. Now I, it's just that uh, for me, it's about. I'm such an old school marketer guy that now I'm I'm trying to learn more and more, and I think I'm getting better at it. But I'm trying to learn more and more about how to properly uh, social media uh, marketing utilize like the social media stuff I have, and 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 also standardize uh, the message across every platform pictures, color yeah. palette, you know, fonts, things like that. So yeah. I've pretty much got, but there's, there's tweaks on everything. And, and, and it's just, I find that I get kind of flustered sometimes going, Oh, it's, it's a like, lot, I, man. I'd, I'd prefer to hire somebody that just was all over it. And then I could just, no, I want this. And I want that. Or I'd just pay them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I feel I'd you love, But I'd, I'd want to be sitting there with them though. Um, but uh, it's just that things change so quick and, 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 uh, um, it, the thing is, it's 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 a good thing because uh, if you can uh, get a, a good system down with how to approach your your marketing for your group on on the new social medias and all that kind of thing, you you do have a lot more power than you used to. I mean, before we had to go to a publishing company or we had to go to a, a publishing slash marketing company. Uh, and let them know that okay, we're playing four gigs in the Winnipeg area. Yeah. Uh, over the March and April, we want we got to hire this company to get some of our stuff into the newspaper, mm. and da da da. And then the publishing company also knows the guys on Rock One Hundred Seven FM and the da da da. So yeah, and then they so, charge you for like almost. Well, their then they they charge you for it. So <laughs> yeah. and 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 it and also it depends on how much you'll get three of these and two of those for 500 bucks or whatever. So you're already out of pocket. Um, and now you can do that free, so to speak on social media, but, yeah. but there's always a better way, right? There's always a, a, a better way of utilizing it. And yeah. it's, 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 I, I know some artists that are just awesome at marketing on online and stuff like that. And and have, have really figured out what works for them. Yeah, they're hitting that TikTok up hard, man. They're, yeah, they're, it's, 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 I'm know, not doing that. It's, it's, I just can't do yeah. TikTok. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan know. of it either. It's kind of strange it, that like the the attention span as like each generation is born just gets shorter and shorter. And now the most popular format to view is less than two minutes. It's like it's it's, it's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It's and I, I've even found it uh, myself. Uh, I think that the speed of life and the speed of um, how things are marketed nowadays is, is affecting everyone. I mean, I I'll watch older movies that that I that I love. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Right around uh, Halloween, I watched the Mel Brooks um, Young Frankenstein. Oh, sweet, nice, it's hilarious. Yeah. Mel Brooks, man, what a fucking guy. awesome a classic. But it's yeah. it, as from today's standards, it's slow. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. I, a lot of uh, younger people would be sitting there going, "They're not willing to wait." Like, th yeah, they, they don't see the buildup or they don't see the the anticipation yeah. in how it was written. So, it like there's, it's strange, but I love it. I I love it. I, I I don't think it's strange. I think it's I think it's I think what what's happening now is is strange. Like you know, like how do you how do you intake um 
art and like media in such a short amount of time and feel the same fulfillment from it, you know? Like, I don't think, like, I feel like that's kind of something that's being lost with the, the shorter formats that's going mm-hmm. on is there's no, there's no build. You don't, there's no anticipation for that climax. Yeah. Instead, you can just swipe down and get another climax after another climax. It's, it seems so. like it's all punchline. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's, just, there's no, there's nothing, almost nothing else. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's, I, I've, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't really get it. I kind of um, used to be that way a bit when I was growing up with like, uh, with music, it, just in the sense that like, um, I hardly ever bought albums. I always had like singles. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a mm-hmm. big fan of like hits. I didn't really know what albums were until I was probably 10 or 11 years old, maybe, maybe a bit older even. And like, by that point, I would listen to albums, but I definitely have these moments where I just be like, why did I buy this whole thing when I only want these two tracks? You know. Well, yeah. Well, that's okay, and that's that's like finding what you like, and 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 then uh, streamlining um, streamlining your your catalog, yeah, basically. But, but I guess it's nowadays. It's like if like say like I know I've been talking about metal a lot, but like just I've, when it gets colder seasons like this, I dive right back into that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Summertime's all reggae and funk and stuff. For sure, for sure. Metal is, winter <laughs> is hip hop, heavy metal. That's just what I do. But it's almost like. Instead of listening to just one track, now you're taking the one track and you're skipping right to the breakdown because mm-hmm. you just want that chugga chugga, you know? Yeah. It's like that's that's yeah. it. And like I there's know. no, you don't want the, you don't want the intro or the bridge or the verse or you the just message the or anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like fuck lyrics. I just want to hear some guy smashing a guitar. Yeah, yeah. Open or doing for, his crazy solo yeah, or whatever, yeah. or a giant drum solo or for something. Thirty yeah. seconds, and that's that's like uh-huh. it. It, it uh-huh. doesn't make any sense to me. Like there's there's supposed to be a journey and taking absolutely, that in, you know? and I think that's what's being that's exactly what's being taken out of it is is the journey or the or or the overall message. Uh, for just some shock value, basically, or some kind of a, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's weird. I think, again, with anything, and I think this has happened throughout, I mean, throughout my life, is that people go so far to one side and then they'll, they'll, it's a pendulum. They'll, they'll p- sure. pendulum. So, so, because they'll eventually go, oh, I don't like that. I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I kind of liked it back here, you know, or whatever. So I think there's going to be a certain period. Part of that, that maybe will like maybe ten years from now, there's going to be a six-hour film released or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just exactly. go from going liking the short stuff to liking like the longest possible format. They Super can find. dramatic. Yeah, you know, huge long pauses with no music. <laughs> I don't want to see him just arriving at his house. I want to see the drive from work to his Absolutely. house. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every stop sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, in your opinion, like you know, if you had to take a shot in the dark on this, what do you think? What do you think would um, reinvigorate people who are currently locked into that short format? What do you think would pull them away from that back end to like more traditional format? Jeez, um, that's a toughie. Yeah. I mean, it it would be related to each each person's experience, but I think that that uh, I mean, my approach might be, hey, you like that song? Um, I've got the whole album. Why don't you Why don't you check yeah. it out? Yeah. Because if you like that song, there's probably going to be a couple others on there that that aren't on radio, that aren't promoted properly, or they aren't singles yeah. that you'll like as well. Um, that might be just my off the cuff approach, but it, it's. I kind of consider myself so far removed from that because I, I I I listen to my vinyl collection most of the time. Cool. Um, and so I'll put the whole album on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and that's just 
what I'm used to. So I'm I'm really far removed from the that other uh, other way of of consuming art and music and creative stuff. Well, but, that's probably why you seem sane. Well, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I certainly listening to little clips like that isn't going to help your your attention span yeah. at all. Like it's it's not none of that's going to help. Do you think um, it has anything to do with like? Do you think maybe if they just expose themselves to more live music, it might? You nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. And that's that was going to be my next point is that that get out there, see live music, and and feel the energy that comes from it because you're getting only you're only getting half the equation. You know, yeah. when you see a live band and there's a connection, that's when the hair stands up on your arms and stuff like that. It, I I don't think I've ever listened to a song well unless it has a deep emotional meaning to me or an event in my life or something that that, that significant that happened. Then then that song just playing it off the record would 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 do the same thing but yeah. but live you you'll you'll be connected to all the energy that's happening in that room and and and, and you'll you'll be able to see the uh, the the artists interact yeah and 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 you can kind of be a part of that like you're in the room where where it's happening and and you're letting it play out it definitely locks you're, you you're letting it yeah, you commit to it. You're yeah. not like this has to be 30 seconds, you know. Like it's go for 7 minutes, you know. Yeah. I want to hear that t- tenor sax solo. I want to hear, you know, a little drum fill thing yeah. at the you know whatever, like you know, you just for, kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. And for God's sakes, just put the phone away when you're at them. Like take yeah. a take a video sure, but don't be the guy who's just the, the, whole, the whole time. time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I found myself doing that at the Queen's of Stone Age concert I went to recently. I was like, "Oh, I'm at the show." I was like, "This is fucking cool." And then the next song comes, like, oh, I love this song. I pull it up, and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, like, yeah, I put yeah. the phone away and just enjoy the music. Like, be there. Absolutely. Be in the experience, Absolutely. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a mistake that, that people make, too, is that um, when you're focusing on your phone or whatever, you're not fully engaged uh, no. with what's happening. You're viewing yeah. it through a little tiny window mm-hmm. instead. You might as well mm-hmm. be watching it on a computer screen at home. Yeah. Frankly, it's like you're, you're almost deafening yourself. You know, yeah, you're numbing yourself from the experience. Totally, yeah, totally. I agree. I, I completely agree with that. Now, that would be an extremely difficult thing for a venue to to do is to, you know, no no cell phones out. Yeah, I remember in the old days when they they say no, like they would check your bags for cameras and things like that, yeah, or yeah. recording devices. Um, like you know, even though they weren't very good back then, but but. But uh, so back then it was just lighters, right? Like everyone yeah. just had their lighter out, you know. And now it's phone lights. The phone yeah, lights, yeah. yeah. Now it's phone lighters, yeah. I still bring a lighter to the concert. Yeah, so I, just, still, I go yeah. old school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get you get that little burn callus on the side of your thumb. <laughs> yeah, come on, I was on. at the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have proof. <laughs> Look at the burn. Totally. What uh, which concert would you say you've been to? Okay, I'm sure you've been to a lot, so I'm gonna say top three best concerts you've seen. Ooh. Okay, well, you uh, two, Joshua Tree. You two uh, and Joshua Tree. Yeah, front okay. row. Cool. General seating. Oh, at Joshua Tree. Yeah. Okay. Or no, not I... at Joshua Tree, but the Joshua Tree album. Sorry. Oh, uh, okay, okay. It was at BC Place. Yeah, I was but... thinking of Oliver Tree is a different artist entirely. But oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy came into my head. But, there, but... but this is like, you know, this is late 80s. So, um, it, oh, when... so peak U2. Peak U2, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think probably one of my favorite albums uh, from them, uh, you know, uh, produced by um, Daniel Lanois yeah. from, from uh, Canadian, yeah. um, back east. And uh, But that was an absolutely magical concert. Yeah. Um, Who do you think is the most talented person in that band? Yeah, to take. 
Because I've seen some stuff with Edge and like how he creates the sounds he creates with his guitar. Like yeah. the just like the the processor rig that he has. It's not a foot pedal panel. It's no, like it's, an entire it's a full, stack. It's a full rack. Yeah. 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 And and that's I mean he really uh without him in that band, it it like he he just he he makes the soundscape, right? Because yeah. he'd have all those stereo delays and everything and and the way that he tunes up his board, like it's just you know, and that that's a huge thing. I think that all of them together make the package. Though. Absolutely, but like... um, but all I think for for the edge being what he does, very important. And then, uh, you know, and honestly, uh, Bono's uh, a great lead guy, man. And he writes the lyrics. He's a great right? lead, and he's, he does the lyrics. Yeah, so, he's an incredible singer. So. And he's a great front guy, you know, yeah. like he just really uh, is very natural. Flying and Bono not, arms and stuff. He's not, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, and just, just a great band. I mean, my, my I prefer their earlier stuff. Um, I still admire what they, what they do every yeah. time. Another one would be David Bowie. Oh, I uh, bet. You saw David that, Bowie? Yeah, Fucking yeah. Amazing. That was awesome at the Pacific Coliseum. What year was that? Oh, gosh. 95 so that was awesome yeah he he came back on tour now i i may be wrong but i from, from what i've heard from several interviews is that he was really low on money he was down to his last hundred grand oh wow and he met up with his promoter buddy in in la and they said we gotta we gotta do another tour so they did the sound and vision tour where they re-released the record label re-released all of his like a kind of like a greatest hits yeah uh cassette and cd and then they went on tour called Sound and Vision Tour. Um, and it uh, was that before that, that's or when, after Serious Moonlight. That, that, that was after Serious Moonlight, but yeah. just after. Yeah, yeah, cool. just after. And and uh, it was great. It was like I mean, it's David Bowie. David like, Bowie. I mean, God, it's he just really was amazing. just like yeah, the most unique person that like mm-hmm. I've got a I've got two posters at my place uh, dry mounted. Uh, one is Bob Marley. A serious moonlight video cassette recorded concert uh, poster that came with the VHS that my dad had. Wow! Uh, I found it in my mom's basement like twenty, yeah, about twenty awesome. years ago. Awesome. Or fifteen years ago, anyhow, a while ago, mm-hmm. and it was just still in the tube and everything. And I was like, "Holy shit!" And it's minty. Yep, yeah, dry mounted, awesome. sitting over my thing. And like, after I found that, I was like, "I gotta figure out who this guy is," because I knew a couple of David Bowie tracks, but I didn't really know David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like he was so much more than just a musician. He was like totally, yeah. The, oh god, like the Artiste, embodiment of self painter. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and just a super interesting, uh, eccentric, interesting, and hyper intelligent guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. Number three. Mm. Number three. Number three. Number three. Um, well, it would have to be. It would have to be. Um, Oh gosh, which one? <laughs> uh, okay, one that I saw would have been uh, when I saw Dizzy Gillespie at at uh, one of my my t- trumpet player yeah uh, one of your gods Wicked. at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and that was amazing. But uh, one that I I was when we were on tour with that uh, Global Village band I was telling you about, we had the opportunity to open for uh, Bob Marley's band. The Whalers? Uh, the Whalers. What? Now, three of the original members were there, and a couple others couldn't make it because they had 
uh, marijuana charges or something like oh, that. They couldn't make they it did. into Canada. Yeah. Um, but but I met Junior Marvin and the, the original bass player, original drummer. And, wow. and we opened for them in Brandon and then we went out and opened for them. Or yeah, we went out, yeah, in, in Winnipeg and we opened for them as well. And it was just super cool to hang out with those guys and then see them perform. Yeah. Uh, it, it was like, oh my God, those are, like there's three original guys. And then they hired a bunch of uh, ringers from Toronto that like the... To, to fill in the group, right? Yeah. Um, but that was just like mind blowing. I you bet know, I've got the I've got the their uh, promo eight and a half by eleven on my wall, and and I've got a hat that uh, Junior Marvin gave me. Um, oh, and man. but yeah, that was just like like you know, just That's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, you got to meet your heroes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, we're at an hour, so we're just gonna take a quick five. Sure. Kind of what we try to do here, so that everyone has a chance to breathe. So we just finished talking about Bob Marley and the Whalers. Got a yeah. chance, you had a chance to play with his relatives and his band. Oh my, yeah. Well, we opened for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, we were the opening band. But uh, man, that was a trip. That was amazing. Yeah. Did they ever? Did you manage to? I, I'm assuming we we did hang out with them. them. Yeah? yeah, we did. We were we were in their green room and stuff like that. Did and you ask them a lot of questions about like what the, the we big were, man was like? We were we were uh, reluctant to get too pushy about yeah. that. Um, but certainly, uh, certainly bonded on a lot of different levels. I know Junior Marvin wanted some uh, Indian moccasins and stuff, so we were looking around for them to, to cool. send them down to him and stuff like that. But, but yeah, you know, mostly more you know um, even keel stuff. We didn't dive into anything too deep, you know, yeah, just you just wanna... out of respect, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That, that kind of thing. But but uh, but yeah, they were super chill. Um, they had a giant bag of pot. Nice. <laughs> We, were, we helped to partake in. As they should, yeah. That's, I mean, come on. You don't get yeah, that kind of yeah. reputation for nothing. Well, no, right? come on. Jeez. That was you know, like, they got to get in the right headspace for the yeah, show, man. right? Yeah. I found that so hilarious how, like, um, you know, how even in the States, in some of the States still, there's, like, there's, and most of the world, like, let alone the States, there's, like, really harsh laws on weed still. But, it, like, when you take examples, like, we're talking about music right now, right? The guys who were... Doing anything else. Usually we're like, you know, heavy drinkers doing a shit ton of cocaine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, your typical rock star. Let's take Motley Crue, for example, or Ozzy oh, Osbourne, yeah. right? Just off the rails. Like yeah. domestic assault charges, like driving under the influence, sometimes killing people. Like, yeah, crashing the Ferrari, the, the Motley Crue guy, yeah. killing his friend in the Ferrari yeah, and whatever yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. All that yeah. shit. And then, like, you look at Bob Marley and all he ever did was smoke weed and all mm-hmm. he ever did was talk about peace and human loving and never once had any violent crime charged against him or anything. Yeah, exactly. And for some reason, weed was the problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, the well, examples are all over that. Industry. That stems way back to yeah. uh, Reefer Madness. Back oh yeah, in, yeah dude. Yeah. Fuck, I have. The I've got some that old poster. I've got the. You, you see my poster at home? The the one the the, the Reefer Madness one. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Was, was it the the red and yellow one? Right. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. the same one. It's, oh, you do? Okay, yeah, there we yeah, go. Dude. There we go. Classic, man. Like absolutely. Can, you've watched that flick a few times, and I assume. And, and noticing that it, they're all sponsored by the uh, Associated Brewers Association. Yeah. So So the all the people that brew liquor don't yeah. want people to smoke pot. Yeah. And the, they uh, want them to keep drinking. Yeah, and the <laughs> the logging companies too, right? Yeah, because like the the weed would have been like a would have put the paper industry out of business as far oh, as oh like the, the hemp, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if they started making, yeah, yeah. Oh, just uh, sort of, craziness, eh? Jeez. Oh man, that one line in the movie uh, was talking about reefer or something. He's like, uh, no, you don't want to smoke that. Uh, 
uh, Johnny or whoever uh, smoked a reefer cigarette and murdered his whole family with an axe. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, no, he drank uh, six quarts of uh, of moonshine and yeah. then that happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah like <laughs> fucking just wild, man. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What um experience, like obviously... Um, substances are a very prevalent thing in, in the world of music. In entertainment in, in or entertainment. with creatives, I think, yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where would you say um, you've seen the most violent examples of it and the least violent? I guess the, the more creatively uh, empowering uses of it versus the more self-destructive uses. And can you divide that into, like, genres of music Ooh. that you might have seen in well, certainly certain genres like, well, in punk, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Punk was, you know, yeah. booze and uppers, mm-hmm. you know, basically um, any kind of uppers. You gotta be um, high meth to play that fast. Well, or, you know, whatever, Coke <laughs> yeah. or, you know, Benzies or whatever. I don't know, not Benzies, but, you know, there all these crazy, you know, speed pills and things like yeah. that, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, overall, I mean, the biggest, the biggest damage I've seen is, is through alcohol, you know, the, yeah. the, the, you know, I've I've have in the past known musicians that that are no longer with us. That their breakfast was a, a Mickey of uh, a Mickey of um, Fireball. Holy fuck! And they couldn't eat before they had that Mickey. Really? Um, and things like that. Um, where and where you just you're just you're so toxic that you you can't really function properly. You know. Um, now the most uh, beneficial. And and these this would have to exist within a, a, a situation where you're with certain musicians that and you're writing and there's no there's no rules like you kind of you know you basically have an open writing uh, writing session um, having a few puffs uh, of a, a joint or something like that doesn't the, hurt yeah helps to get the juices flowing for and sure. just and just get in the zone mm-hmm. and and and, and uh, especially if there's a little bit of anxiety or, or something between the, the musicians uh, initially that, yeah. that helped to loosen things up a bit. Um, obviously, too much is too much, but but uh, that's certainly something that never hurt. Yeah. Never hurt. Yeah. Um, there was always way more creative things happening. Um, now, as far as with everything else, I think it's most of the other things are pretty destructive. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, 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 life doesn't get better when you start doing coke. <laughs> True. It, do, yeah. it doesn't. It, just it, it never into, gets better. It's a bit more of a headache. In Ever. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Period. Yeah. So, and things like that, right? Like where it's just, you end up, the thing is you kind of buy into this whole rock star thing, right? Like which yeah. has been, which has been piped through media and movies and oh, yeah. everything else. They, they've and, glamorized and, uh, it you, so you much. You bought the Kool-Aid, you know, basically. Yeah. Um, and same with, uh, with gangster rap and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a similar thing where, yeah. you know, that the, there's this whole really fake persona that comes along with that. Yeah, um, you can't and, just smoke a blunt. You got to have like a whole oh, like, yeah, Lamborghini with and it your $10,000 yeah. watch and yeah. gold teeth and everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, to to look the part or something. But well, that's, uh, that's exactly you know. it. It's kind of like they, they, you know, when they come up in that form of music and then they're like, well, I want to seem like my heroes, but even more so, right? Mm-hmm. So they always try to take it up to another level. Yep. I think that's how you kind of ended up with like the whole emo thing in like the mid 2000s, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. lots yep. of uh, like oxycotton and stuff like that was being used. Mm-hmm. Lots of like, um, it, it was like I, I was talking about this with another guest that I had on, but uh, that era, like I was growing up when emo and like that whole 
like uh, subgenre mm-hmm. was was huge, really right? huge. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know, Three Days Grace and like uh, uh, Falling in Reverse, Escape the Fate, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It was like the more self harm you can cause, and the more trauma you can acquire, the more like popular you're gonna be. And it was such a dangerous mentality to have. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, I mean, you go back to like. Like gangster rap, for example, at least like with like say like the NWA and stuff like that, they were rapping about like real things, like the yeah. shit that I, like like some of it maybe was a little exaggerated, obviously. Like, like but they, they were uh, rapping about their life and their neighborhoods, yeah, and, and, the, and like the, the struggles that they go through, and yeah, yeah, and like the emo scene it was like a lot of those guys, like yeah, some of them obviously had like mental health issues, right? But mm-hmm. they also came up in like most of the time middle class suburban homes. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. was like, my parents are getting divorced, so my life sucks. And I know I shouldn't be too heavy on that because trauma is all in perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all based on like what you're used to versus what the trauma is, right? But, but I see what you mean that it's kind of almost an excuse yeah. to behave this way, uh, you know, for yeah. them in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And it came to this, I feel almost like that attitude somehow like moved over into like the hip hop world after trap hit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, cause you got these guys like, maybe, maybe this is starting to pass now, but there were like these rappers like Lil Yachty and like mm-hmm. this guy named Lil Xan who was like yep. face tattoos and stuff, but had this like edgy emo kind of vibe to them. And yep. they're almost like the same thing, but it's like the, the, the look or the aesthetic moved genres right and it's yeah. almost like cycling through it and I'm almost just, like the mindset uh is shifted yeah, to yeah yeah, yeah. So now I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if like are we coming to an end of that where people are like because there's a lot more awareness around mental health now, yes right? there is yeah and like which is good yeah do you think that that has been a positive thing for musicians in general like being able to have that stigma kind of removed and able to emphasize like talking yeah, being more encouraged to talk about the tough stuff. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that it is moving in the right direction. Um, and I think it would take. It's one of those things that's probably going to take a while to kind of, to to really develop. But mm-hmm. which is, it's going in the right direction. Um, you know, being able to talk about this stuff now is, yeah. is huge. Um, but yeah, I I th- I think that. Um, I think it's really important to recognize that. Of course, you know, I think that. Uh, the life of a creative in any genre, especially when you're really, really working toward your passion and your love for something, uh, in, in a, in a society that, that doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, incentivize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that it's, creatives are going to have issues. Yeah. Cause they're, they're generally not really in society. They're, they're existing within society, but they're the ones who see it as fucked up as it is before anyone else. Absolutely, you know? and also that there's moments in their lives where they zone out from society, yeah. so that where they're where they're immersed in their art. And I don't think there's a lot of people in regular life that have that zone out. Yeah, uh, maybe their zone out is watching TV or something right. like yeah. that or whatever, but that's not really a zone out. Um, you're talking about like withdrawing from society and just diving head diving first head into first into an idea you have and you're going to develop it. You turn your cell phone off, you no distractions, you know, you get, you, and then four hours fly by and you get a whole bunch of cool stuff done Yeah, because you're in the zone. Um, and, but 
in relation to mental health, that, 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 uh, it's, it's a benefit and a curse because, uh, because you can get into a zone, you're actually helping yourself because you're able to detach yourself from, from the bombardment of life, uh, mm -hmm. social life. Uh, but at the same time, because you're, you're conflicted with having to pay your bills and live, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but then also loving what you do, there's this battle between, you know, having to make enough money to, to pay the bills and everything and still being, and allowing yourself to still be able to have enough time to do your creative stuff. Um, and so there's that, that battle alone can be, uh, can cause issues, uh, mental health issues, just, you know, trying to, to balance that. Um, and, and there's no right or wrong way necessarily. I would have to be, you know, applied to each person, but, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a toughie. I, I think that, um, in, in some cases, uh, creatives can be m more sensitive to that. And in some cases they can be less sensitive to it because they're, they're comfortable with, with, uh, the amount that they make and, and the amount of time that they can spend on their creative stuff. And that balance is, is good for them. Um, or in some cases it won't be, but I, I found that throughout life, you know, having to, to get those jobs doing sound or whatever, where you'd make 26 bucks an hour, uh, you know, for a good long, you know, and long hours, like 15 hour days, yeah, yeah. uh, and you make a big chunk of money and then you've got a couple of weeks you can spend on it your, is on the, your creative stuff. Yeah. Cause on like, um, people with that kind of mindset as like creatives, like I, I would consider myself one, not by any means, uh, very like, um, one who's um delve very much into any one particular mode of creativity but like i always find myself in these like states where like if i want to do something with myself whether it be how i choose to like alter my physical routine like i i love understanding how i can like change how my body is and like how i can move and things like that i'm always mm -hmm. fascinated with like physical forms of art like dance and things like that mm -hmm. And you're a, you're a director too, or a AD. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. that's another huge creative thing. My creativity has yeah. definitely been yeah. stimulated a lot through like, uh, handling personal situations with people. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but like, it, there's something about like, I find this switch to go from work into personal is much harder for us to switch on and off. You know, like it's like, if you're working, like that's why film works for us a lot is because if I'm going to go to work, that's my day. I'm not mm -hmm. doing things after or before work. Yeah. It's a work day. Me right? too. Yeah. Me too. And yeah. then when you have time off, you don't want to have to think about, I got to go to work on Monday mm -hmm. and like plan this whole, like, you know, getting your life in order and doing your, your creative stuff before the Monday mm -hmm. comes up. It's mm -hmm. like, I now I'm done this. I'm done working for a bit. I'm going to take you know, two weeks, a month. Switch the channel and yeah. then focus entirely on something else yeah, for yeah. a long period of time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was the hardest thing to acclimate to when you first when I first got into film because my whole routine would develop around working and then on my days off it would be recuperating from sleep. And then when you finally finish that job after doing like a six month run, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, now I have to pick everything back up again and start moving. But once you, you know, find a hobby again, and you get back into your things, like it's. Then it's, you're back at work, or you're trying to remember where you left off. Yeah. Uh, before you started that working that big job. Yeah, you know, exactly. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I got back into mixed martial arts and stuff earlier this year, and I hadn't been in combat sports for like over 10 years, but like 
just getting back to it and actually taking the initiative to understand that I'm not working for a while, so I'm going to actually do something that I want to do and stick with it for a bit. Yep. It was yep. it, and it's so much easier when you don't have that anxiety of like I have to go back on Monday. Yep. You know? Yep. Totally. Totally. And, and yeah, and I find the same thing when on the weekends, I'm just recuperating. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, I might do a little bit of music, but I, I, de- I definitely do not do, uh, like work a 16 hour day and then come home and start writing beats. I mean, I just, I, my mind is such in a yeah. different spot. Um, you do uh, a lot of, uh, sorry to kind of take this on another tangent, oh, no, but go for it. you do a lot of, um, music production digitally too. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you must take an interest in hip hop music then. I love hip hop. Um, yeah. I love trip hop, acid jazz. I mean, I'm again with genres, I, I, the, yeah. pretty much every genre, I, there's something I like. Yeah. What, a, um, what about hip hop though? Like, what do you think you've learned more out of that genre that's like kind of helped to build your, your musical identity? Well, I mean, my love of hip hop started with like, you know, uh, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, um, nice. you know, uh, Seal Smooth, Rakim, uh, yeah, Rakim you know, uh, yeah. though, so early on, uh, yeah. it seemed that, that a lot of the hip hop was, uh, a lot more positive or mm-hmm. a lot more, a little bit less, um, like it is now, I suppose. Um, I and, rapper. but I always loved how. What what got it for me, and that's kind of why I bought my first sampler was was um, the the cool little horn parts and the yeah. things that you could sample out and then add to your beat and then kind of start to use them to shape a song, right? When there's a good track like mm-hmm. a beat with a pitch shifted brass section on it, yeah, like Rakim's um, "Guess Who's Back," absolutely, holy shit, man! It's like great, it just, it's huge, it hits, yeah, it hits, man, absolutely, but. But it's also the producer putting those things together, yeah. right? And knowing that they'll go together. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've gotten to the point now where <clears throat> I very rarely sample off records anymore. And I nothing that I release has any samples from records on them, just to avoid the uh, the copyright thing. But, but um, if I uh, have, let's say, a sample that is, is turning out to be a key point in a song, then I'll, I'll bring my friends together. Uh, and, and we'll re-record it. Nice. And so we'll, we'll, and we may change a few notes and, you know, change the tempo a little bit and this and that. Make it your own. Now it is inspired from that sample, mm-hmm. but it's, it's been replayed and then readapted. So, so that is a, a, a good way to avoid the, the, the copyright issue. Yeah. Um, now if that, for some reason, if that song started selling a million copies, then you'd probably still have a little lawsuit on your hand that that was derived from data, but it would have to it have to do that for it to be a problem, and then you'd already be rolling in cash anyway. So, <laughs> so you'd be able to pay off the lawyer or whatever, and, yeah. and, you know, or give them a couple of points on the on yeah, the, or you uh, just hire Rick Rubin to make the album exactly, exactly, basically, set. yeah. But so that's that's kind of my approach now is that I I love making stuff sound like it was sampled uh, off of a record. I'll sometimes even put record scratch on the like over top of the sample that I recorded with my friends to make it sound like it's. Oh, that's cool. That's smart. So it sounds yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's been sampled off a record, but, but, um, so it gives it that vibe, you know, and, and it might be very subtle, but people will still pick it up. Oh, you yeah. sampled that off a record? Uh, no, I didn't actually, <laughs> but I wanted to make it have yeah. that mojo. I wanted to have that vibe, was, right? Yeah. yeah. The intention was to make it sound like it was sampled. Absolutely. It's yeah. It's a trick question. Yeah. But, it, but that's part of the era that I've, that I really was, soaking that kind of music up like um 
you know, even Portishead or Massive Attack and the trip hop guys, you know, oh, that, yeah. that kind of stuff is similar where they'd have, like Portishead used to make acetate records out of samples of the their own band. So when they're doing live shows, they can be scratching uh, her voice or scratching uh, uh, Adrian Altley's guitar stuff or so a cool. lot of the stuff. So they'd, they'd be printing these acetates that would that would dissolve after like 20 plays because yeah. they're acetate. But but they would use those for their their live shows so that when the guy's up there doing yeah. and it's, it's her voice, you know, but but cool. so but that's, that's what cool. I want to get to is to take some of the samples that I have and then you know, make some, press some vinyl with, yeah. with my samples on them. And that way I can scratch them in and, and also use them, uh, for, for shows or use them for recording. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's really that's, cool. But again, nowadays it's like 120 bucks to get one acetate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you almost want to do like a little mini run of, of scratch records yeah. and then maybe sell some too, you know, but, but, but yeah, I just, that, that, I love a lot of times uh, my songs will start with a beat that I've either made or a beat that I've sampled my buddy playing drums and I've maybe manipulated a bit or uh, the song will start with some kind of a, a hook, a sample, uh, yeah. some two bar, four bar kind of little uh, riff that goes uh, and and then it just takes off from there, you know, and then I'm like, oh, that was, that, that's out of tambourine. Let's add the... Let's get uh, uh, let's get my buddy to play some bass stuff on there. Oh, and then the ideas start to flow, and, and and you know then it's the the risk is to try not to put too much on it. Yeah, know, like to, to give us have some space, but yeah. uh, but make sure all the parts are there, right? But anyway, yeah, I, I mean that's almost my favorite thing to do is to to sit down in uh, in front of the studio and just kind of write um, uh, write with other musicians. Uh, is is collaborating is is one of my favorite things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really a ultimate zone moment, you know. Especially if both musicians are in that zone, and it just it's it's a, a you magical guys all space. On, on the yeah. same level. Yeah, you feel like you're on a magic carpet floating around. You know, it's it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so cool, man. Fucking a, I'm I'm actually really enjoying your your uh, take on like um, these different genres of heavy, that like do for you and stuff like that, and like. Um, Sorry, I just had to shift that a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know I've mentioned it a few times already through this podcast, but like I, I'm really interested on your take on like the whole like metal genre of things, like because like you, you strike me as a guy who's very musically, like intelligent and like very well read. You obviously have a vast knowledge of theory and like the hardware, and it, I find it's it's hard to meet people outside of, um. It's hard for a guy like like me who doesn't necessarily associate entirely within like the music realm of like you know like I don't go play gigs out here and stuff. I'm not familiar with a lot of the local musicians and stuff. But mm-hmm. I, as like so, as being able to get around someone like this, you know, it, it's I, I w- I've always wanted to be able to like pick your brain sort of thing. I guess. Oh yeah, no, so, I'm, I'm I I love that. I love sharing my experiences and stuff like that. So, yeah. So like. You know. Have you had any um, good experiences in that genre area, like with the heavier stuff? I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I when I was in Kamloops, I uh, for extra money, I started doing live shows and mixing live shows, um, and I started, you know, I I've mixed uh, at the Blue Grotto uh, nightclub there for, uh, for probably seven years um, when Doug couldn't do it, and then I 
started buying some equipment and doing live sound stuff. And, and I did, I ended up doing a lot of metal and punk shows. There's a lot of uh, that. For a lot of, yeah. Through, through like the late th- 2000s and into the, uh, out to 2013, something like that. There was, I eat Pogue Mahones and yeah. it was a rock and furker and they'd all have uh, shows and, and because those places didn't really have uh, yeah. a full setup, you'd have to bring in a mixing board and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, there was a lot of really great local bands. Um, again, you know, even, um, I mean, it's, I find that, that that music has an awesome energy and, and impact it can be a bit relentless yeah. after a while. Yeah. Uh, for me, like, so, you know, there was, a, there was a period there where I'd actually be literally bringing earplugs and stuff like that because guys would just crank their amps and have full, full it, Marshall stacks on stage and there was nothing I could really do about it. Yeah. People could be um, pretty aggressive with it. Yeah. Like, that's well, kind they, of the vibe just, of the music, right? They put everything to 10, you know, yeah. and, and, and that, oh, this is how we do it, you know, and you're in a tiny pub, you know, but, um, no, and, and a lot of really good local bands, like, you know, like, uh, um, man, there's, uh, I'm just, I'm trying to think off the top of my Fenrir, head. I think there was one called Fenrir's Thirst. That was yeah, a yeah. Metal band out there. For Absolutely. A while. And there's, I mean, there's a number, they seem to change so quickly. Like, yeah. they, you know, they, they last for a couple of years and then they got a different name. Yeah. But, but a lot also, of the same players, yeah, right? They're also aggressive. Like, they're like, Punk guys with muzzles, so like they just try to fucking yeah. fight each other. All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like, just like um, relentless, right? Yeah. But no, I do have good experiences, and I, I, I love uh, Macedon. Nice. I love um, there's uh, uh, Gojira. Gojira, nice. That's a good class. Um, those guys, are but I, I, you generally awesome. like the metal bands where the guys do sing. They they do some singing. Yeah. And then they do some growls. Yeah, that's I'm the same. But they way. have some sing stuff because I I, I got to have that. I mean, there's, if it's just growl all the way through, it's like, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's very few it that should do be an well. impact thing. It should yeah. be like, uh, for impact. Yeah. Um, like, um, yeah. I know they're not, well, actually let's use kill switch engages. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they had that guy, uh, what was his name? Howard Jones or something like that. He was just, he's a classically trained jazz singer. Right. And gets into this melodic technical death metal band mm-hmm. and like, You'd think it's good. Like, their prior guy was a lot of screaming and stuff, and, like, he was okay at singing. But then when he came onto the scene with that band, like, um, have you heard their cover of Holy Diver? I may have. Okay, I, I, so I should, I should double-check that. He's yeah. got this super rich voice, like, just beautiful. Like, you could see the guy singing in, like, anything from, like, gospel to R&B. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's got these pipes that come out, and he can just scream. Right. And they have a really good way of like using the the actual singing part as like almost a relief and adding tension with the screaming and growls. Yep. And that's kind of what I've appreciated about those vocals. Totally. But there are definitely bands out there like um I don't know, like insert black metal band name here. The guys Pretty just much. like just blast constantly. And they it's, just they it's just it's just a relentless wall of sound yeah. and it's so hard to pick out what the heck's going I, on. I, and and it, it's it's every to me mm. bands like that are just everyone's just stepping on each other. Yeah. Like no one's leaving room for anyone else. Uh and and it that's a bad I think that's a bad thing in any music. Um mm-hmm. there has to be tension and release as you were just said, yeah. you know, with with the different vocal and then there has to be some dynamics, you know. That's again why like Bassadon and and mm-hmm. Gugier, they have you know half time sections in songs, and then they'll double time the ending or yeah. whatever. Like they'll have a, a a 
you know, a, a structure that, that chills out a bit. Yeah. And then maybe there's a cool, like, uh, guitar solo, and then they ramp it up and, you know. Yeah. But there's got to be some dynamics. There's got to be some kind of give and take. Yeah. Um, because even it, if you are like a like if you're a you could be a world class guitarist or drummer for sure, mm-hmm. and yeah you can play three hundred BPM or whatever. Yeah, and like, like just go, yeah going nuts. It's like great, but, that's super talented, sure, but like but, you can't hear it really. Well, and, like, so, and it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Like yeah. everyone's just stepping on each other, and it's yeah. not being uh, properly uh, utilized. In my, you know, I mean, it's like like having. Uh, four amazing artists on there but then they just play as much as possible so that yeah. there's no there's no room for anything else right? i think yeah. that's kind of where i'm starting to feel like my own age starting to kick in about like how i talk about that because i used to identify a lot as like i i was i'm a metalhead or whatever right? but I, i'm listening to the stuff the kids are listening to nowadays and it's just not it's not what it to me it's not what the the genre is about Mm-hmm. Like they've taken the idea of being aggressive and loud and just decided to make that the entire thing the instead entire of thing. like having these points in the songs where it's like a, it's always been like a, a high octane type of music, but then there's like a build up and then there's like these relief parts and there can be like, I guess that's why there's like, like why I gravitate, I found out I gravitate more towards like the melodic death metal side yeah, of things because yeah, they have the yeah. melody, they have that structure to it. Totally, they, they're conscious of, and the melody is the most important thing for that period of time. Yeah, you know, and 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 instead of everything just being mushed together, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like um, the ones nowadays, like there's, it's hard for me. I've been trying to listen to a lot of them because I'm like, come on, don't be, don't be that guy, you know, don't be the, don't be the music of my day. It's so much <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy. So I like, I'll put on stuff like I, I've heard of a couple different bands. Like there's this one that's blowing up. I think they're called uh, Lorna Shore, and like they're huge right now. People fucking love them. And I listen to their music, and it's just I can't understand a single thing the guy's saying. Mm-hmm. And I understand that like the screaming is talented, sure, and he can get really, really deep, and then he can do these really high pitched, like squealy, crazy shit. But mm-hmm. like, give me a bridge. I don't Give need, me a context yeah. to like, uh, you know, I that bugged me too is that yeah. I can't understand what they're saying. I don't it's, need it's, five minutes of blast beats. I want no. like, you know, like give me like a like some an intro of some sort that like actually feels like there's structure to this thing. Totally, totally. It's been uh, causing me a bit of a midlife crisis. I'm not gonna lie. I hear you. Yeah. Let the let the kids get over it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It'll come up soon enough. You, you can't know? tell them anything, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck. If I only knew. If I only oh, fucking knew gosh. growing up, man. Yeah, that's um. But I think that that actually almost is every generation. I think really. I mean, yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I even there's because yeah, I think that uh, a lot of younger folks feel like. They're just like, wow, what the heck am I, you know, like going to school and blah, blah, blah. And, it, and and life seems so like unconcrete that, that there's all this anxiety that's pent up and you just got to get it out. And when you're younger, I mean, you can listen to that stuff for four hours and it's not a big deal, you know? Yeah. It's, I think as you get older and you grow and you, you start to, to, uh, redefine your tastes a bit and everything, then you're, you start to look for things that are a little bit more, um, you know, still having that energy, but then obviously life isn't just all intense. Yeah. Like you've got to have the push and pull of that. And I, that's what really makes a great song. It doesn't even matter what genre it is. I yeah. mean, uh, you got to have tension and release. You got to have dynamics. You got to have, you know, structure isn't even as important as those. 
No, I mean, I, I mean there's some yeah. songs that go with the same key all the way through and a cool beat, but because of what is put over top of it, it shapes the song. Yeah. And you like know? if it if um, it's if it is like the same beat and stuff, there's like there are other elements added that make it feel almost transic or something. Like absolutely. That. And and, just, and they contribute with the, what the the bed tracks that are there. Yeah to the greatest effect, yeah. you know, uh, without it just being mushed all over, you know, everything just kind of stepping on each other, right? Yeah. There's yeah. there's guys playing, like, eight-string guitars in, like, a drop G tuning now, and it's like, I can't, your body can't even register that low of a frequency. No, and you can see like, the string is, like, going like, yeah, yeah you know. it's just, like, low fuzz. It's like, like, and why do you need a bass player now, you know? Yeah. Basically? <laughs> <laughs> well, now the bass player's got, like, a literal power cable as, yeah. like, yeah. his top string on the guitar. <laughs> just, like, just nuts. Yeah, that kind of stuff has blown me away. You know, I, don't, I, I try not to jump, to talk too much. About but that. It, just... in a way, it is because the, these guys are trying something different, and, and yeah. they're trying to be different. I, guess so. I mean, it's kind of like I guess they're like the fusion jazz of metal music. In I sense, guess right? you know because it, how else are you people going to know you or, yeah. or discover you if oh, that guy's playing an eight string guitar? You know. And the only guys I know who really like this this kind of music are people who understand music more. Than who really deep, go deep into like the metal world? So I, I right, guess and they know this, and they even know the the name of the brand oh, of yeah. the guitar. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're I, I, I all this drop D, drop C, drop yeah. whatever. I, I, I'm not used to that in in the bands that I play with. We just we're all concert pitch. The drop tunings uh, are like super fun to play, just because you for a full power chord. Now you just got to bar your finger, and like yep. you can get nice and heavy with it. Like um, I don't know, you listen to Lamb of God. Or yeah, them, yeah, so. yep, yep. Yeah, probably one of the only bands that like. There's he doesn't really sing much, but he's like so very like clear and enunciated with his mm-hmm. screaming methods that mm-hmm. like you can still understand the lyrics. But they yep. they play in a drop D or like like uh, Children of Bottom with a drop drop C. And the first time I went down to that tuning, and I hit a palm muted open string, I was just like, whoa. Like it's it's stop. chunky, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it has, and you can understand why that would be effective in in that. Uh, genre just because of how much impact that has yeah yeah uh as a a sound engineer uh that becomes a real problem uh for mixing live or recording yeah because now you've got to try and find a to carve out a little spot for your your guitarist which is basically getting into the bass range noise gates won't work here and then the (laughs) bass guy's got to like because if they started playing the same note you're going to get this giant bump yeah you're gonna get the, all these weird resonances and stuff like that so now the bass player's got to remodulate everything so he's not hitting that note and and make sure that it fits uh so it's and, it's technically difficult to record too. yeah because okay. you're dealing with all these low frequencies then yeah. you got the kick drum mm. and the kick drums yeah, so now you've got okay. these three and bass frequencies that now you've got to try to carve out a little spot for each of them i never and, thought and, of that and, before. because otherwise That's... bass will just get mushy wow it'll just get all mushed well, like, yeah, like, you know, like, it's just bass mush. Yeah, all this yeah. Bass mush. Well, like, a lot of the times I'd put uh, the kick drum when I'm doing live stuff, I'd, I'd tune the kick drum uh, either higher or lower. So I would carve out all the really low end stuff out of the kick and make it more punchy and then give the bass guitar all that low, low stuff. We're, uh, yeah. we're coming into our last, oh, we're at the last 10 seconds already, but I wanted to just give you one more question and it is for anyone else who is trying to feel happy and, and, and like, um, fulfilled and wants to live a life of music and keep that attitude. Mm-hmm. What's the best piece of advice you can give anyone in a nutshell on like just sticking with it and not getting too down when like, you know, it might seem tough. 
well, you nailed one of them. Uh, actually, three of them, I think. Uh, sticking with it and 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 even scheduling on Sunday afternoon for three hours, I'm going to paint or I'm going to write poetry or I'm going to... And even if you feel totally stumped and you have no ideas, just do it. That's one thing. Another thing is collaborating. Collaborating is a great way to get yourself out of a, out of a, uh, a writer's block or anything like that. Because you can offer something that's maybe partially done or an idea or a drum beat or something like that to somebody and they'll, they'll have a whole slew of ideas for it. Whereas you're like, I don't know where to go with this. And then, and then you collaborate with them and then the, the song can, can, can go somewhere. Um, and then also just believing in your passion for, uh, it's so tough because being a creative, you're under this guise of being judged Mm-hmm. by everyone and 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 by everyone's tastes it's, it's it's good to try to realize that that this is just their opinion i love what i'm doing i'm passionate about painting i'm passionate about music i'm passionate about acting or whatever any any creative form and i'm going to keep doing it i'm not going to let them discourage me from that so what uh, you're saying is fuck the noise yeah pretty much cool. and if you have writer's block Find find people that you respect that you collaborate with. Awesome. Yeah, and play with people that are better than you. Yeah. Oh fuck, that's the best. That's, that's the play best with part, people yeah. that are better than you, and and learn from them, and soak it up, and use your ears, and you know, yeah. Thank you, Graham. Brick and A, buddy. This Appreciate has been it. great. This has been great. Uh, yeah. Why don't you look into this camera here and just throw out your handles, your band name, whatever you want to you want to advertise or whatever. Cool. I'm I'm Graham Howe. I perform as Howe Sound in a trip hop, acid jazz kind of break beat group. Um, I've got uh, if you follow me, uh, Howe Sound Official on Instagram, um, and then my link tree is Howe Sound Music. Um, but yeah, uh, got got some shows coming up in spring, I think, and I'll certainly be putting them out there. Um, I'd love love for you guys to come and video uh, video I, the I show again. Yeah, that. that'd yeah. be awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, looking forward to get back to. Back to film work. Sick. Awesome. <laughs> After this long strike. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Thanks again for listening, everybody, or Cheers. watching. If you tuned into the YouTube channel, be sure to like and subscribe. We'll be back again with more delicious content to stimulate your attention deficit. My name is Adam Aubrey. Have a good day. Peace. Cool. Awesome. Excellent. That was wicked.
I'm safe.